Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The premiere of The Last of Us. When you're lost in the darkness is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recap. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here. And even if you feel you may be lost in the darkness when it comes to watching The Last of Us, the light has been brought, not just with the Fireflies, but with Post Show Recaps as we are beginning our voluminous coverage of HBO's newest prestige drama, its adaptation of the hit 2013 video game the last of us so excited to be here i suppose i should be welcoming you all in with a song from the 70s because we have new stock right now a new show to talk about and it's a good one very excited to be breaking down not only this premiere but talking with this person every week doing the recaps on sunday nights of the last of us Hopefully we'll be an even better pair, not Ellie and Joel, because that's, you know, uncomparable, but certainly better than Curtis and Viper. Grace Leader, how are you doing? Good. You used all the pancake mix, though, Mike. There's none left. I love me some pancakes. Are you team waffle too. or team pancake? Team pancake, yeah. Yeah, I'm picking up yeah. team pancake as well. Yeah. I, I, I grew up team waffle. I was fervently anti-pancake because I had, like, one bad pancake thing, and then you're off pancakes for a while. But now that mm. I've matured, 
in my age, nearing 36, I should say, yeah. I've grown to love pancakes. Listen, not I'm not hating on waffles. I will eat I will eat waffles if you put them in front of me. I just I just prefer a pancake. Listen, if you're in a post-apocalyptic setting, you take any breakfast food that's put in front of you. Yeah. Uh oh boy, Mike. This was a very good episode of television. Uh an hour and twenty minutes, full cinema here. Yeah, um, the, and, like the length yeah. of a direct to DVD Disney movie. That's right. And it was very good. It was very sad, as I was expecting, but it was very good. Yeah, the length of a direct-to-DVD Disney movie, but definitely the oppositional tone. Yes. Uh, and maybe yes. the opposite in terms of dead parents versus dead children. So before, right. before we get into it proper, uh, I want to put out a couple of things since we are, again, at the very beginning of our coverage of The Last of Us to introduce not only some topics that we'll get into, but the fact that we are quite literally just getting started. We will be the first of many podcasts covering The Last of Us, not only throughout the season, but even just this week. The first thing I want to point out is that Grace and I are going to be here doing a beat-by-beat -beat recap of The Last of Us episode that just aired on HBO Sunday night, January 15th. So we are going to copiously spoil the episode. If you do not want to find out what happens in this, turn it off, go devote an hour and a half of your time to watching this excellent episode of television, mm -hmm. and then come on back. Now, for those of you that have not seen the show yet, I think, to Grace's point, it is something we should probably point out that there are a number of topics that could be considered a bit, you know, hot button that the show gets into, even outside of its first episode. I mean, within the first scene, the word pandemic is yes. mentioned. Uh, and I can yes. un certainly understand, given the plight of the world in the past three years, how that might not be content that people are willing to check out right now completely understandable the last of us also deals with topics such as child death suicide homicide uh you know disease quite obviously it, it really runs the gamut uh in truly examining the human condition but that being said there are several darker sadder topics as grace is alluding to we tend to say these shows meet you where you are here on post show recaps if you feel like those topics would not work for you in this particular moment, that is all well and good. Leave it on the shelf. Go browse some other DVDs in the Adler's house, as it will. Plenty of content right. out there. Uh, but I just want to give people fair warning in case they haven't checked the show out, that it does include some of those topics that are perhaps um, a bit more triggering. Now, as I said, we are but the first podcast covering the last of us in this week uh, i'm cheekily calling us grace the first of us covering the last that's of us. that's very good i like yeah that. considering we mm -hmm. we are the boots on the ground right now we have mm -hmm. a whopping four and maybe even sometimes five podcasts wow. covering the last of us so just to outline what the week looks like typically in our last of us coverage of course grace and i will be here every sunday night right after the episode airs recapping the most recent episode then Pretty soon after, a couple days later, Grace, you will be getting together with Taryn Armstrong to do our video game club. Suffice yes. it to say, these recaps uh, will not have many slash any references to the video games in there. I think the closest Grace and I will get in talking about these episodes will say, oh, that's from the game, or yeah. that's different from the game. Uh, we're not going to get into specific plot points, especially ones that are going to reference future plot points, knowing that there are a good sizable number of people watching this show who have no idea or no knowledge of the source material. Save it for the video game club. That's where yeah. Grace and Tara get to go buck wild talking about relating things to the video game proper. 
Then we are seeing the return of a hit podcast series during our House of the Dragon coverage versus has returned. Mm. Josh and Latanya are coming back. They're going to be comparing each and every week the most recent episode of The Last of Us with the most recent episode of another recent HBO series that deals with a post-apocalyptic, post-pandemic society in Station Eleven. Mm. I'm very excited about that, Grace. Yeah. I uh, I did not watch Station Eleven. I I heeded oh. my, my own mm-hmm. warning that I just gave yeah. in a manner of speaking and that like at the time yeah. it was something I was like, I don't know if I'm mentally capable of watching this right now, but I, I feel in a better place now, obviously also watching The Last of Us. And I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. ready to check it out because I hear it's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's it's a tremendous television show. And I'm very excited to see Latanya and Josh tackle the comparisons uh, uh, between uh, the two. It's so nice of HBO to originally have 10 episodes of Last of Us and cut one so that both uh, these pandemic shows would have nine episodes for Josh and LT to be able to perfectly align themselves together. That's very nice of HBO to do that. Yeah, thank you to all of our moles inside HBO <laughs> for making those decisions happen. Uh, yes. So now, obviously, Grace and Taryn are going to be talking through the video game in full spoilers. But what if you want to experience the source material, but you want to do it alongside fresh eyes? Well, I got not just one pair for you, but two. Later on every week, there is going to be a first playthrough podcast where Jess Sterling and Brooklyn Zed are going to be walking through The Last of Us, the original game from 2013, in parts, and also talking about the show proper. So if you sort of want like a live playthrough of the game for the first time, experiencing it through new eyes and being able to make those comparisons in the moment, be sure to check that out. Those are the typical four podcasts we're going to have every week. On occasion, we may have bonus podcasts, may have bonus feedback shows. As an example, we'll have one this week where we'll have a crossover with the Rob and Josh series in which Rob mm. Cesarnino will be watching the first episode of The Last of Us. Rob, no stranger to zombie culture given his comprehensive coverage of The Walking Dead back in the day. So he'll be joining Josh to take in your feedback and give his thoughts on the first episode of The Last of Us. But at the top of every week here on the recap, I'll be sure to outline what guest slash what feedback podcast may be happening that week. So if you have feedback, which I'm sure this show will garner a lot of it, be sure to send it in. That being said, we have a lot of podcasts that I just outlined right there. To make sure you do not miss a second of it, we have a Last of Us specific feed for Post Show Recaps listeners. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash last of us or postshowrecaps.com slash L-O-U or Lou. Uh, we couldn't find Lou yet, Grace. I'm on Lou no. Watch this yeah, season. Lou Watch, yeah. Keep an eye out. Yeah. Actually, there was there was a there was someone taking a doing a Lou. There oh was someone, yeah, and, and we don't know the name of that guy. It could have been no, Lou. That's true. We should name him that. Yeah. Maybe we'll name a Lou every week. Okay, good. I like it. The Lou of the week. So feel free to check that out. And please, while you're there, rate, review, subscribe. Especially, we are very new in the season. Obviously, it's a very new feed and. The more people that are rating and subscribing to it, the higher it's going to pop on the charts, the more visibility. I know that The Last of Us is a game that's all about stealth, but we do not want to be that right now. We do want the searchlights on us as we're escaping the metaphoric QZ right now. Uh, So feel free to to leave us, you know, any feedback that you might have through that as well. That is greatly appreciated. Let's get into it now. Hopefully we have uh, allowed the looky-loos to step out if they do not want to be spoiled about what happens in this episode of television. 
Grace, I want to go back and uh, elaborate on your comments. Mm-hmm. Give me your overall thoughts on these 80 minutes of television that we used to officially usher The Last of Us into television. Uh, it was really, really good. It was uh, enticing. I think that, um, you know, the reason why so many people love this, love the game, and we're very excited about the TV show is for me, I, I am a big fan of just sad TV. I don't know what it that says <laughs> about me, but I do love it. And, you know, I think that the beginning of this, you know, the the, the real abject fear of, of this, you know, uh, disease spreading through uh, the world and how, how quickly this stuff is all happening. Um, and we get the intro to to Joel, who will be one of our main characters, uh, Sarah and Tommy, who's going to be an important part of, of this episode. It's It was just really well done. It was incredibly creepy and then sad. And then, you know, what I love about so many of these, so many of the, the, the media that I watch, I love world building and Mm. i feel like one of the things that the last of us does extremely well is set up the the world the post-apocalyptic world so we also we obviously have fedra being in charge here sort of this evil even in a post-apocalyptic world there's evil evil government agencies (laughs) that are controlling our lives they're like the cockroaches they always survive yeah yeah and and then you have you have Joel and Tess trying to navigate through that world while they're also being this firefly group that is an insurgency of sorts of rebellion group trying to fight against that. And all of all Joel and, and Tess trying to sort of just survive and, and do the things they're, they're good at and, and live like, uh, you know, Joel being a smuggler, uh, being able to get drugs uh, and he's trying to get a truck and a battery and all of this stuff. Just, it's all just immediately. So, so, engaging and interesting and it feels so so real and rich and full and i think the show did such an excellent job of just setting us into this world and then but by the end of the episode being like okay we're on an adventure we're a full-on adventure like joel's got to take joel and tess are going to take um ellie and they got to get her to safety because she's important so i thought it was really really good episode ones often have set up uh you know you got to set up a lot of stuff this one, I felt like they did such a good job of setting everything up with with it being very, very engaging and not feeling like it felt like we lived in the world already. Mm, yeah, I, I completely agree, specifically on the point of world building. I was surprised in many ways by a lot of choices throughout this episode, despite the fact that I, I actively know and engage with the source material, namely the idea that it's an 80 minute episode and we spend about half of it pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Pre-Cordyceps mm-hmm. in 2003. I thought that was a really great choice to build out the character of Sarah, who becomes, in my opinion, the POV character in 2003, which, yes. again, does differ from the game. I thought that was a really brilliant choice to then yank that away from us and make the heartbreak that much more palpable. But the second half is spent in Boston, in the QZ, and I totally agree not to you know spoil too much, but this is an adventure show. This is a show that is going to travel to multiple locations. And so I thought it was interesting that obviously we end the episode leaving Boston, but I think it did a really nice job of feeling representative of what does 2023 look like right now. Even just these stationary montage shots, right? Of like people mm-hmm. standing on the streets, a guy wearing like a Gore Lieberman t-shirt from 2000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah The firefly amazing. graffiti all over the walls. It, mm-hmm. it was so evocative to me as to, okay, 
they're living still. They survived, but really, is this living at this yes. point? And I thought between setting up the smuggling stuff, uh, I, I thought that it was really well done and flowed nicely. What I will say is I would not be surprised if at the end of this nine-episode journey, we say that episode one was the weakest, uh, just because, I mean, the thing that people love about The Last of Us so much is the dynamic between Joel and Ellie, which mm -hmm. was sort of non-existent here. To your point, it, it was a lot about setup, setting them up as individuals, setting up the setting, and then moving ahead with it. I personally had no problem with it because I really love these characters, and we'll talk specifically about how I'm really freaking pumped for Bella Ramsey in particular because she brought Ellie's essence from the very first glare she gave. Uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so incredibly excited about that as well as the other performers. Uh, so it, it set up some really exciting stuff. Uh, I'll be intrigued to hear from people who, again, do not know the source material where I did see a review where someone said that the first episode did feel a little akin to like, your, again, your typical post-apocalyptic stuff where, okay, we see the, the the world collapse and this is what things look at now. It didn't feel personally wrote to me. I'm not sure if that's because I, I knew the environment, but regardless, I think it really did an incredible job in its world building and really setting up to your point, doing the pilot's job, which is setting up these pieces before we start moving them into place. Yeah, I totally agree. I just wanted to make one quick note. There's an article that came out, I be uh, believe, on Saturday or Friday from New York Times, the Belly Ram uh, Bella Ramsey piece, sorry, um, in which uh, she discusses that uh, her she's uh, gender fluid. Yes. Um, and uh, so that's pretty uh, Go HBO. Just continue to like, yes, like uh, uh, gender fluid people in their, one of some of their lead roles for TV shows. I was going to say, Bella Ramsey now needs her own viral moment with her favorite drink, but I believe she is 19. So I do not that's think right. that would not pass in hey, many ways. In Canada. That That's is true. Drinking. It's illegal drinking. Uh, but uh, yeah, so one thing I'll just let uh, uh, in the article, Bella Ramsey says, you know, I don't really care what pronouns people call me. So I presume a lot of people default to, to she. We probably will a lot. And so she, with House of the Dragon, was tricky because it was like, a, you know, her character uh, is female. Same thing here. But uh, just a cool, cool moment. I just wanted to call that out. I think it's really uh, a rad. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I thought I thought Bella Ramsey was immediately. Ellie, Ellie has uh, in this episode. Uh, there's there's a lot of comedy intertwined in this episode, yes. especially as we get going later on. And uh, Ellie is certainly the de the deliverer of a lot of the comedy in this episode. And uh, so yeah, it was you know you need that I think to break the tension of what this this is a very like dark world. She's been she's been bitten and she's she's fearful of what that means, even though nothing is happening to her yet. So yeah, very fun first episode. I'm excited to chat through it. Yeah, on that note, Craig Mazin gave an interview, I think it was with The Hollywood Reporter, where he brought up that idea of humor, which was also very much populated throughout the video game. And he likes to specifically focus on this idea of when you're kind of in ridiculously dire situations, all you can do is laugh. And so I think we will be seeing a lot of humor kind of sprinkled throughout, not only out of necessity, to your point, to just break up the incredible soberness that, that recurs throughout this series, but also just truly inherent to this character, who is, at the end of the day, a sarcastic 14-year-old. Yes, yes. Um, I, I totally agree, yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. We've got a lot to discuss and a lot of time travel. So... We start things, Grace. The very first scene in The Last of Us mm -hmm. is a talk show segment from 1968. And yeah. part of me is like, 
okay, did Craig Mazin just get this in because he loved Chernobyl so much that he needs more <laughs> period pieces where there's some leftover wigs to put on the guy who played Big Head in Silicon Valley? I know but, that threw me off so much that he's the the host of this like sciency TV show. Yeah, Big Head. Yeah, yeah. I because again the the character that we're used to is like a dweeb that kept failing upward. To see him actually like yeah. competent at his job was super surprising, but. We find out very quickly that essentially what this is is a big old dollop of foreshadowing here yeah. as the talk show with two epidemiologists where one in particular goes into this cockamamie futuristic idea of what if the latest pandemic that could take the world by storm isn't viral or bacterial but fungal. And essentially this serves to break down a bit of the science and the history with what we'll learn to become named as the Cordyceps virus uh, that is indeed going to overtake the world and lead to the apocalypse of The Last of Us. You know, he uses examples of the fact that we already utilize and internalize fungus through things like LSD, uh, through things like penicillin that are created through fungus. And this idea about the Cordyceps, which we spoke about this in the kickoff show, but is a true scientific breed of mushrooms that can infect an ant and essentially take over its mind, puppet the body. And when the ant's body is starting to break down under its control, it is then able to like keep it healthy almost. So it's able to manipulate it and control it. And so what he reasons is, let's say right now we're good with our fungi. We put mushrooms on our pizza. But let's say the world were to warm for whatever reason, and then strains of fungi were allowed to evolve and unleash themselves upon society. Uh, it could perhaps be something that's akin to this cordyceps, but be able to root itself in humans. And as he gives this chilling monologue, we cut to people just staring blank-faced in the audience <laughs> as if they had already been taken over by the cordyceps themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the full foreshadow, especially those of us who are playing the, the game. We know that, you know, the, the disease is, is, is fungi. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought, I thought it worked. I think, you know, traveling back to 1968, maybe a, a little bit unnecessary. I feel like you could pretty much plant this at any time in yeah. history and be like, yeah, there probably could be some bad, you know, uh, you know, this pandemic stuff. So you could, like look back to like 2019, like we should probably be, pretty concerned maybe about pandemics people like i don't think so i think it'll probably be fine um so yeah uh, this is john hannah who i, I very much like mm -hmm. i don't imagine he's in the rest of the the show uh been in a few things he's in agents of shield uh he's played in one episode of taskmaster favorite show oh, of mine nice. so but i thought he was very fun as the snarky scientist who's very much right about what's coming and everybody's ignoring him the role of a scientist yeah so I did have a thought, because I agree. Initially, I'm like, why are we all the way back? It's pre-moon landing. Why are we back in 1968, considering that the show is going to take place, what, 55 years from then? Mm -hmm. And I realized we're going to cut very soon to 2003, and Joel is about to turn 36, right? The world goes to shit on his 36th birthday. Happy birthday to you, Joel. Yeah, really. And I realized that there are, I think, 35 years between 1968 and 2003. And it made me think that this is something that Joel has not thought about in his lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, mm -hmm. it's a concept that was brought up at this time, but his whole life has passed without even having an iota, an inkling of discussion or dissertation about mm -hmm. this happening. 
compare that to Ellie and several other teenagers that Tessa's going to talk about later, right? About sort of pandemic babies, in a manner of speaking, that mm -hmm. Ellie is someone 20 years have passed since the, the virus first took hold. And so there are people who don't know the world beforehand, who just exist in this as the new normal, thinking this is how the world functions without any knowledge of the before times. And I wonder if that's meant to serve as that parallel, right? That Joel had no, no, no knowledge of this type of discussion because he wasn't alive for it, much like Ellie is the same. Yeah, very interesting. I think Clock that it's essentially, you know, the the timeline works there where he's not born when this interview is taking place. So that's kind of a you know fun, uh, fun maybe not the right word. I'm gonna say fun a lot on these this these podcasts, Mike. Because when it's a like, fun guy. Yes, but when it's like we're talking about something very dark, uh, and I'm gonna say that's fun because I uh, need a thesaurus. Um, but yeah, I I think it works. I think it's a, it's a good setup for for everything that's to come. The, the you know this apocalyptic event uh, that someone in 1968 could see coming. Yeah. So we ominously end with Big Head saying "We'll be back," and then it cuts to black, which I think should be the prevailing attitude of humanity some 55 yeah. years later. But the next thing we see, Grace, the opening credit sequence of The Last of Us, and they said, "All right." We're a prestige post-Game of Thrones HBO show, so we need something a little out there, something that involves something flowing through some sort of CGI-rendered environment. Listen, I don't think this is a hot take or a hot D-take, but this works so much better for me than the House of the Dragon opening credits. Yeah, oh, most things work better for me than the House of the Dragon <laughs> credits. Um, I'm, I'm still mad about that one. Uh, this is fun. It's very, this is, I, I don't know. I feel like we need to do maybe a Mediapedia episode. If you're not, from, if you're not a patron of post-show recaps, from cigars and I talk about, we ask big questions about media. And I might need to do one on intros and what works and what doesn't. But I do feel like there is this, modern thing that people are doing these days where it's very this is this feels very rings of powery very it's very they go abstract in these nowadays right not just showing the people it's like here's general concepts and natural pieces to represent the trajectory of the show the crown i i feel like has a mm -hmm, little bit of this mm -hmm. where it's like building the crown yeah i i don't know i don't know if i Love it. I I am. I do feel a sense that I, this one might be one I skip, uh, uh, but uh, we shall see. I will keep. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I I really like the music though, which makes sense. Uh, you know the the folky guitar based style is something that's very uh, anethmic to The Last of Us, and so it makes sense that that serves as the opening credits too. So I I enjoy the song, and I especially love the fungus which moves throughout the opening credit sequence, then forming the outlines of Joel and Ellie at the end, considering that the entire onus of the show is them escaping this fungus. Let's talk about one of those fungal outlines right now, as here we are, the year is 2003, and we get to meet Joel, albeit in a very slumber-based perspective. But as I mentioned before, we're mainly going to see a lot of this stuff through his daughter, Sarah. Uh, it is Joel's 36th birthday. I believe they say, what, it's September 26th, 2003. And it starts like just like any ordinary day where Joel is sleeping in and Sarah is the one having to cook breakfast. Yes, uh, he. we're going to learn very quickly that Joel is a hard worker. He's a single dad, so he is uh, working these long days, so therefore waking up a little bit later. He works seemingly in construction of some sorts, 
Um, but it, I, I really, really loved the relationship between Sarah and Joel here. Uh, he's, she, he's like, I don't even like pancakes. And she's like, I know it's just an excuse for me to make them for you because I like them, which is great. And then when they're eating their eggs and he's going to say that there's a shell and she's going to say, well, it's calcium, you know, uh, their relationship is very, very cute. Uh, this, you know, as you pointed out, we are going to get this from the point of view of, of Sarah, very similar to the game. Um, you actually play as Sarah early on. So Tara and I, I think we'll dive into this a fair bit on our podcast, uh, uh in a few days. But, you know, it just all serves to and I think there's a world where this is a bit tricky because we all I think a lot of us know Bella Ramsey is here. Yeah. But if you if you if if, if what you know about this game is Joel is going to take care of a a, a a girl in this game and in a post in, a, in sorry, in, in the show, in a in a post pandemic world, uh, post apocalyptic world. And that's what the game you think, you know, when you're playing the game and then you find out that that you know, it's not going to be Sarah. It, it is a it, it is incredibly sad. And I think there's a little bit in, in a way in which the show I know it's coming. And I think if people know that Bella Ramsey is sort of the person who's going to be, you know, paired with Pedro Pascal, um, this uh, maybe doesn't hit in the same way as it did when people played the game. But they did a very good job of trying to make it work anyway. And it's incredibly sad because their bond is so cute. Mm, I got to give so many roses to Nico Parker as well, uh, who unfortunately, like her mother, the great Tandaway Newton, will end up dying, uh, maybe much less times than her character did in Westworld, but still, you know, still very tragic. But like you said, the relationship the two of them have is so naturally set up here, right? It's the banter. It's, yeah. you know, oh, you have to wear diapers soon. Who says I don't already? Yeah, it's later it's when she gets in the watch and he says, how'd you get the money? And she says, oh, selling drugs that it's clear Joel is a little bit of an F up. It seems like he, he miss, he forgets things. Like you said, he's very hardworking. He has a lot to juggle. And so you could tell that Sarah has a bit of independence to her. Just, I think kind of being that latchkey kid, but you could tell that they have a lot of care and respect for each other. and have a very great relationship. And this also shows great writing too, that it didn't feel hammered over the head that we just threw the two of them talking and the two of them getting on, and especially, like you said, that chemistry, we already get a sense as to how the two of them interact. We never make a mention once about Sarah's mother at all. It's clear she's not in the picture, uh, whether it be a widower situation, divorce situation, etc. But we don't really need that because just through not even exposition, but their dynamic with each other, it not only really builds up this relationship, but then makes it so much worse when it's taken away from us. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. So here to show up Kramer style is Tommy, the brother of Joel, played by Gabriel Luna. He is going to come in, seems like kind of the fun uncle in a manner of speaking, that he's going through the leftovers. Uh, another no, that's HBO. a different, yeah. Mm -hmm. he, um, well, yeah. there's only about 2% left of stuff in the fridge <laughs> for him to eat. But uh -huh. we, we kind of see a little bit more as to what's going on in their life right now. It seems that Joel and Tommy work construction together. Uh, and there's a very fun piece of foreshadowing here, even if you don't know exactly how things are going to go where Sarah's going to say about Tommy, he loves you. Joel says, he depends on me, not the mm -hmm. same. Sarah mm -hmm. says, I think it's the same. And Tommy agrees. And I think, again, that's going to be a line that will stick with Joel throughout his journey, no matter who he may be with. And that concept of love and dependency, whether or not they equal each other. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, Tommy, Tommy's fun here. Um, and, and obviously will be an important part of Tommy or sorry, Joel's motivation later on. So fun to see, you know, they're all the family resemblance here in, in that they all are just smack talking each other all the yeah. time uh, is very good. Uh, so yeah, Tommy, and the, Tommy and left uh, the chicken wings, I think in the morning, uh, old move. <laughs> Also, so we should talk about this is 2003, and this felt very much shades to me of you know BoJack Horseman when they put the song on the radio to describe what year it is. Yes. You can see little bits and pieces, right? At one point, Dido's White Flag is playing on the radio. They make reference to the Adkins diet. There are in-universe yeah. things as yeah. well. Uh, Sarah is wearing a shirt for the fake band Halican Drops, which is something from the game. The 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 movie Curtis and Viper that I mentioned before is something from in game but they are sort of bleeding fiction and reality here too i believe joel gets a notification on his beeper uh oh i think uh when when he says it's time to go and he'll drop sarah off at school i believe i believe he checks a a beeper um which yeah which makes the setting interesting for me personally because so sarah is meant to be 12 i'm not sure if she's the same age in the show so it's a little two, older, but yeah, yeah. but in 2003, mm-hmm. I was 13 going on 14. Unintentionally put myself in Sarah's shoes considering I was around her age at the same time and almost made me freak out more given the way things fall apart over the course of the day. Yeah, I think it's also a clever way. I mean, you could very easily in a, in a post-apocalyptic world say, well, there's no cell phone towers and any of this, but technology is going to be at a standstill as of 2003. So they're going to take off, go to school, go do their jobs, etc. We will briefly talk with a couple of the neighbors that will play a much larger role in that they, from our perspective, will be the first signs of the infected in the Adlers. Uh, it seems like there's a couple that we are going to get to know the mother of later, but we're going to see old Nana out there, a little catatonic sitting on her porch. Little do we know that she's just lying in wait for her moment to be super freaky. Uh, those biscuits are going to come up. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, enjoy them while you can. Um, there's some really good uh, cinematography in this episode. I think is really good. There's a few scenes, uh, specifically with this woman that we'll we'll talk to. Um, but uh, you did a little foreshadowing of can you come and hang out after um, Connie misses you? Haven't hung out for a while, which I thought was the woman who was sitting there, and I was like a bit weird. It's like Connie misses you. She seems like she can't talk, but no, Connie is a a different woman. Who- Yes, yeah, so we're going to kind of yada yada through Sarah's day a bit. She's in school. It's interesting the sentence she has to diagram is, where are you going? Which is kind of the question we're left asking as well as the characters are at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But eventually after school, she's going to go to a watch shop to get it fixed. Uh, turns out we're going to see, we saw her kind of squirreling through Joel's sock drawer to get some money to get his broken watch also takes a look at a knife that I think is going to become very important later on 20 years from now. Was this show just trying to squeeze in as many Easter eggs of other HBO shows? Cause you could, this, she goes and visits a watchman. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, there we go. We um, had the leftovers and the watchmen. Perhaps I had to close early because the vigilantes had to take to the streets <laughs> and start defending themselves against the infected. That's right. So maybe I'll just keep an eye, a tab on this and how many other HBO shows are referenced in this first episode. But things start becoming less normal very quickly, right? She's in the shop, and we see some emergency vehicles just speed by. One of the watch shop owners says, oh, they've been going around all day. The other one hurriedly charges in and says, you have to go. We're closing right now. Go home. And does not elaborate on it. 
But Sarah is going to go home and being, again, a good person, true to her word, she is going to be like a good neighbor. She's like State Farm and she's going to stop by the Adlers. This is when we meet Connie, who may be the worst. And it's not only because she's pushing her super hyperbolic religious stuff onto other people, but mainly because she refuses to make chocolate chip cookies and instead makes raisin cookies. Yeah, that's a bad move, Connie. Live your life. The world's ending. Live your life. Come on, eat some chocolate chips. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's really the first sign of trouble is, uh, again, we learn in The Last of Us that perhaps the most dangerous things out there aren't the infected or the infection, but perhaps people. Connie may be a sign of that from first blush, given her choice of cookie. Yeah, yeah. Bad move. I mean, I no, I really actually, Ray, I, I grew up very, I think more picky than my mother would have liked me to be. And sometimes I'll go home and mom will be like, oh, you don't like that thing. And I'm like, no, mom, I'm like, now I'm 30. I, I can eat, I can eat Brussels sprouts or broccoli or whatever. Um, but the one thing I really don't like is raisins. So yeah. I'm fine with raisins freehand. If you give me some pocket raisins, I won't give you a second glance. <laughs> For me, I, if you give me pocket raisins, I will look at you. <laughs> <laughs> For me, put raisins in anything, specifically a baked good, and I'm turning up my nose unless it's in a post-apocalyptic society. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, in a, yeah, okay, 2023, the fungus infection, I'll take some raisins. That's fine. So we take notice that things are a little strange, though. Uh, the old people and the dogs are always the first to know, I suppose, and that Nana is kind of intensely twitching and staring off into space. The family dog is paying attention, but nobody else is. Sarah thinks nothing of it. She rented a movie from the Adlers, the Adler Library. <laughs> mm -hmm. What do you think here, Mike? Because they they do not focus in the camera on the old lady behind. And I do think there's a world in which that is a bold move in the world of, in 2023, where our smartphones exist and work, mm -hmm. um, that people second screen a fair bit and i this is a scene that is entirely there's no sound really it's just uh sarah looking at a dvd and then and then um sort of uh what would you call it like like uh blended but i'm missing the word where it's not in focus it's not a rack focus completely it's like a half rack focus where yeah. essentially nothing's in focus <laughs> yeah and she's opening her mouth and and twitching a little bit and i think it's easy to i think it'd be easy to miss if you're not watching with a keen eye so i think very interesting i mean later when we see what ha what, what the result is it's very much in focus and i didn't like it but uh, I thought very, it just, it's, I thought it was more, I thought it was a bold choice to be a little bit subtler with some of the stuff that's happening slowly. There's even a scene in the school where the boy's medical alert bracelet, he's, yeah, he's it's, twitching, it's reflecting. Which, but that's also an interesting trick. I thought that was a little bit weird as well, just in the sense, and these are nothing that break the show for me. I'm not, you know, very minor complaints, but that a boy who has a medical alert bracelet might have something that actually is wrong with him that might cause him to like twitch his arm. And so these are very subtle, like slow burn foreshadowing to mm -hmm. what we're actually going to ramp up, which I thought was just very interesting. Yeah. Well, not only that, if you have a keen ear, not even a keen eye, and you're listening for the radio and news broadcasts as yes. well. You know, there's that entire spinoff about what's Jakarta conversation where That's they're right. talking about an incident in Indonesia. And here, as Sarah goes home that night, there's this news report about a quote, rash of violent incidents that police are responding to that are just being blamed on drugs. Of course, drugs is the source of everything. Classic. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just thought it was very, very, you know, I, I think it's a good, I actually think it works for me because it, it, for me, it yeah. pulls me in more than it makes me. I, I'm watching the show intently. So it worked yeah. for me. But, and, so. I, and I think as well, again, given our own history, it is more realistic that right. 
it was almost flipping a switch, at least from our American perspective, where certainly people were hearing about something coming out of China, but by and large, it did not broach the main topic of conversation. We usually tuned it out with the other white noise. Mm -hmm. And then it all just came in a flood all at once when things got dire. Mm -hmm. So we're still not at that point yet, though. Joel is going to come home after a long day of work. He forgot the cake. That sucks. But Sarah is, uh, you know, pushing it aside, saying, uh, let's write an IOU, because I owe you some money for this watch I fixed for you. <laughs> Happy birthday. It's super cute. She's like, uh, she jokes that she actually got the money by selling drugs, uh, which is very funny because Joel will sell drugs. <laughs> yeah, and Joel also responds, it's better than what I do. Yeah, and and that she took the change and she put it back. And she says, don't worry, it's a thought that counts. And she's going to watch this movie that she is not even uh, very excited to watch. Very cute. A very nice daughter. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna watch your schlocky B movie alongside you, and I'll probably only fall asleep halfway through. Curtis and Viper. I'm always a big fan for freeze frame gags. I loved the stuff on the back of the DVD of one of the best performances. Dot dot dot. I've ever seen. You know these poor marketing people, fictional behind Curtis and Viper, trying to cherry pick the best quotations uh -huh. and just dicing and slicing them to make them seem positive. Yeah. I can't wait for our po for our po when Poster Kips Theater does our Curtis and Viper. Uh, I was gonna say, I think you and Ariel are super pumped about it. Uh, it's very exciting. Yeah. Well, hopefully one of you doesn't fall asleep like Sarah does. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Joel's going to get a call. And again, those of us that know the show are waiting for that other shoe to drop and like, okay, is this it? No. Tommy's in jail, uh, though, to your point, it is slightly connected. He said he was at the bar. Somebody went a little wild and he stepped in to protect a waitress and as a result got in a bit of a skirmish and is now held in prison. Uh, he will eventually make a return when shit goes south. But yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting little thing that, again, was a nice rug pull, but also simultaneously slow feeding us, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And Tommy being in jail and needing the help of his brother also tracks, I think. Yeah. As we're going to, uh, as late, we're gonna be like, yeah, Tommy left and has not been heard from. So, 
Yeah, and also, oh, Tommy got brought into this insurgent cult. Wow, right. he, has, right. he seems to be incredibly susceptible to so many things. Yes, uh, yeah, very good. Uh, and again, Joel being great dad puts Sarah to bed. Carries her yeah. to bed. Well, what's interesting is we're about to segue to, again, it hitting the fan. And I think this first 35 minutes does a really effective job of, again, Joel in this first half hour, I would not say is the greatest dad. I don't mean to judge other fathers, but again, he has a lot working on it. I think it's clear that, you know, he has a lot of priorities in gear and Sarah very much is the one to help run the household. Uh, you know, she says, I got this watch fit for you because I knew you never do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. When things go down, we get to see the other side of the Joel that we know, which oh, yeah. is protector Joel. And I thought it was really oh, yeah. great to see the duality of that, even within the first half of this pilot. Yes, uh, totally agree. I believe th- so. When Sarah's going to wake up at like two a.m. and the helicopters are going, and dogs are barking, and it's clearly mayhem outside. Uh, I believe this is very close to the start of the game. I can't remember if there's anything before this, um, but this is uh, this is like this is sort of where we kick things off. Is Sarah waking up and being like, "What is going on?" Um, and so I loved this Mercy coming and, and barking uh, at the window, and she's going to take him home, and of course as we saw earlier the dogs know mike and the dogs know and the dog is also saying what's that lassie one of your owners is eating <laughs> two of the other owners in a well <laughs> uh, let's go check it out so yeah no, she goes inside go it out. no Ugh, straight out of a horror movie we get yeah. the first of what i assume will be many gruesome images of the infected in particular which is the fact that the Adlers have been devoured by Nana, who is just feasting upon the flesh right now when Sarah walks in on them. Uh, Tara and I will go through. There's some major changes to the disease in in, mm-hmm. in the show. This is so good. Like This is yeah. fun. This is fun. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to keep saying. What, what I love about these infected are, we'll get this later on in this, this you know first half of the episode, when they're escaping from the one that chases them through the diner. These form of the infected are just, again, they're not controlled by their own volition. So they're almost like a little goofy in that they're Ugh. throwing themselves physically all over the place. Uh, and so it's interesting to see the lack of coordination compared to, again, if we're talking about other zombie culture, what we might see from those versions. Uh, the slow lookup of Nana with the moving fungi coming out of her mouth was absolutely disgusting, and it was incredible. Uh, it was so good. It, it is horrifying. It's so disgusting. This worked so well for me. Uh, Sarah's going to run outside, and, and here's Joel to save the day. Yeah, Joel wielding the pipe wrench, Tommy wielding yeah. the gun. We, we should note that Tommy, the bumper sticker on his truck, says he's a veteran of Operation right. Desert Storm. So mm-hmm. suffice it to say, I think he was, he was ready to hop into a very different type of war. But they all hop into the truck. Joel promises her, we're going to be brave. We're going to get out of this. And this begins the most video gamey part of this video game adaptation. This, you know, see, there was moments where it's like a shot for shot uh, uh, remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the driving, the the truck through uh, the horde of people who are running from things, and some people are attacking other people. Yeah, this, uh, this, this was good. This is great. Considering that the almost the entire POV is from the inside of the truck, I not only liked it again comparing it to the game, but. A, it reminded me of yet another piece of brilliant post-apocalyptic fiction in Children of Men, right? Which is probably most well-known for its big single shot that takes place in a car that's incredibly intense. But I think it also represents kind of like 
the claustrophobic atmosphere that mm. they're engaging with now. What I do find interesting is going through Sarah's perspective, right? As she's trying to kind of logic this out. Again, being a sign of the times, the first thing she asks is, are these terrorists? Which again, very 2003. Yeah, that's going to come up a, f- a fair bit, which I guess, you know, the Elliot saying that it's, but I, that to me feels like propaganda more so. And it, and it's right. Yeah. 2003. That's a very good point. I hadn't really picked up on that. This idea that everybody is wondering whether this is a terrorist attack um, just due to, yeah, being 2003. It's a very interesting uh, a point. Um, yeah. It's a good, good observation, Mike. Yeah. And the the other thing that she turns to as well is obviously panic, right? She asks, yeah. are we sick? They're trying to go into denial yeah. by saying, well, Nana took all those trips into the city. It started in the city. Don't worry. We're not infected at all. Again, you know, this, this sort of false yet hopeful promise of it's not going to happen to us. We're going to be safe, not knowing what they're quite literally driving into. Yeah, uh, that that feels very real. Uh, I can see why maybe some people are, uh, re- you know, why the there has been, you know, a slew of pandemic media is because there are these things that happen that people are obs- like, you know, observing and then feel like they can put them on screen. So, yeah, it feels that feels very emblematic of what I heard people be saying <laughs> during uh, our pandemic. Yeah. What I also find interesting is during these driving sequences is again a bit of the change in Joel's attitude. And we see the way he functions under pressure, which is cool, but also sometimes a bit shrewd. Uh, this one particular moment where there's a family stranded on the side of the road and yeah. Joel is the one to say, we got to pass him by. And it's a nice contrast from that dynamic at the kitchen table in the morning where it felt a bit two-on-one in Sarah and Tommy having a bit more of this easygoing attitude and Joel being a bit more of the straight man. We get this here where he's the one to make that very calculated decision of no 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 it's for our our own survival we have to keep going i'd say make a a note of that for the future because that's something that i think joel will not necessarily drop from his philosophy yeah totally agree he you know he is our you know he knows how to survive this whole thing uh and it's pretty clear immediately i mean from the moment he drives up to to nana's house uh and is it's taking full control he 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 knows how to navigate this this thing you know clearly just like sort of on autopilot to a degree like we're not stopping yeah well speaking of navigation they're struggling with it right mm-hmm. one highway is just bumper to bumper traffic another one is blocked off by the army so they say okay let's sort of take a shortcut through town and this is where we get this jaw-dropping sequence that you were mentioning beforehand where they're trying to drive through you see people burst out of a movie theater that ironically enough is showing a film called midnight madness just freaking out they're piling through infected they're piling through regular people uh there are notably planes that are flying fairly low commercial planes like full ass airplanes and you think that wow that's an interesting sight kind of weird and then it comes back around quite literally as we have this single shot of them backing the truck up and we see people behind us. Then the camera cut, uh, pans back over to like a freaked out Sarah and Joel in the front seat. And then it pans back and straight out of Lost, perhaps coming out a year after all this happens in real time, we see an entire plane go down and cause this massive explosion. My mind was as blown as those streets. Yeah, it's good. This is uh, HBO money here. Uh, full Full plane crash. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was absolutely wild. So in the aftermath, everyone's alive. Sarah has hurt her ankle, so now Joel has to go into fireman's carry mode. They get separated from Tommy, and so this is going to lead to the sequence I mentioned earlier where they do see some infected feasting upon some people and unfortunately get one of the infected's attention. It does chase them throughout, and again, we get a bit of a glimpse of, yeah, they're kind, they're kind of clumsy, but they're also pretty dang fast. And one nearly gets them before a helping hand arrives. Again, we don't deal with a lot of infected in the second half of the episode. So I think it's going to be a nice preview of what we're to expect from the true dangers out there in the next eight episodes. This uh, when when they run through like a diner and the and one of them is chasing after them and like leaps over the booths and and like crashes into a stool. It just that it just stick, stuck with me that that image because they're. Yeah, the point you were saying, they're like fast and they're people. They're not that they're they're not so far gone. They're, these are not, you know, the slumbering uh, zombies that we've sometimes see. In movies. These are fast uh, zombies that are chasing after you can leap over the booth. But yeah, also their brain is rotting. <laughs> they yeah. Crash into things. I think it's it was very good and it was very effective. Tommy shooting uh, one of the, the one of them to sort of save uh, Joel and Sarah worked very well here. Oh, so we should correct here. So uh, it's actually one of the army men is oh, going sorry. to shoot. That's because right. this is going to lead, right. obviously, to like the climactic moment where right. they end up in the headlight slash the flashlight of this soldier who luckily spares them, though not for long. So they're caught in the lights. They're trying to explain their story. And this guy is radio the order. And even without him going through the motions, you know what the other end of that line is saying, right? Essentially, for safety's sake, you're going to have to kill them. He brings them down in a hail of gunfire. Joel tries to turn away. They go rolling down a hill. Tommy is able to swoop in and kill the soldier right before he ends up shooting Joel. That's the good news. We have a big piece of bad news. Yeah, Sarah has been shot. This is devastating. Joel just keeps saying, you're okay, baby. And she's not. Uh, Tommy knows that she's not. This whole thing is is so powerful. The soldier following orders, I think he goes to apologize right before he's, he's shot by Tommy. It's so sad. It, it shows you right from the beginning that the, people are so scared of what this thing... Obviously, we watched the whole scene of them you know, trying to make their way through the city as people are feeding on each other. And, and you know, one sign, this is a thing that we'll, you know, we will keep track of is Sarah's injured ankle. So this idea that she is hurt or injured in some way, and, and that might've happened because of uh, somebody who was infected is going to just, they're not going to take any chances at this moment. So he gets the order. It, it's so powerful. It works so well. It, this you know it's so sad that you think because again when you're playing the game you think that this is going to be about the these three people if not these two people and joel and ellie try, or sorry joel and sarah trying to navigate and then they kill off sarah right away it's so sad it's heartbreaking yeah so obviously i knew this was coming i played the games i knew the source material so i tried to steal myself mission failed this wrecked me this absolutely wrecked me not only because again i put myself in the shoes of joel being a father i put myself in the shoes of ellie being again someone who was around that age at that time but it was 
Sarah. So, we're going to so keep well doing done. this where we're going to call Sarah. But luckily, we won't have to do much further. But yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. But it was just so visceral, I think, is the way that I would describe it. Nico Parker did such a, it's unfortunate to say, but believable job where she is gasping for her life. And especially as Joel is trying to pick her up. And for the first time, that steely facade kind of fades in a moment, right? Where he's trying to pick her up and she's grunting and screaming. He goes, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And you could hear the sort of panic that's rising up in his voice and, and he's putting himself into denial. And what got me was when it cuts over to Tommy and he has tears in his eyes and he just says, Joel. And when it cuts back to Joel, Sarah is dead. She is just fully out. And it happens just like that. And then to see Pedro Pascal continue to like, go through the motions in a manner of speaking, because again, he can't face this. He will try literally everything to move Helen back to keep her alive, even though it is very apparent that she is not. It was, God, it was gutting. And it was so earned, again, based on the dynamic that we had that you could tell, despite the fact that we saw him largely away from the house, she was his entire world up to that point. And his world has changed in more ways than one. I thought... It was really well performed across the board. It did not feel like an epic, sad death scene that we've seen in the past. It felt more simple and therefore, honestly, more gutting and an absolutely terrible way for the characters of Joel and Sarah to not only end their relationships, but obviously something that Joel's very much going to carry with him for the next 20 years and beyond. Yeah, I do think that, you know, you're talking earlier about Joel as a father. He he works these long hours. He He's caring for his, he's making sure that his daughter has this normal life, right? He's a single dad. And so the fact that, I don't know, this is where they set up the story. And I do think sort of extending this, you talked about like the percentage of the episode that is set in 2003, I think is a, is a good choice in terms of just who now Joel is 20 years later um, in terms of him being, you know, somebody who's going to be paired with, with Ellie um, and why that might be difficult as well. But mm. we also know that, you know, there's a way in which like he, he's, he was such a good father that like he is the, the what uh, Marlene is going to see in him is, although she's never seen him with Sarah because she does right at the beginning of the, the, the day that this happens, um that he has this piece of, that like he he is you know he's a he's a caretaker right like he's he's yeah. her, her it's so it's just a brutal gut punch to start uh the show and and it was it's just so well acted and well shot and and, mm. and writing is good so yeah so i also know i've been reading interviews that we are going to get flashback scenes do you think we're going to see how other characters were doing on September 26th. Do you think the flashbacks would more so be in the intervening 20 years? Um, I would be more interested. I, I love this, you know, the day it all went to hell. I, mm -hmm. you know, I remember that day uh, in, in our world that we're certainly not to this extent, but it was a day where everyone's like, Oh, this is, this is real. This, we need to do something about this. And so having that, you know, turned up to 25, I would say 11, but that's not accurate. You know, we're already at like 10. Um, I think it's really good. I, I don't know that I, 
I think that there would be more juice to squeeze in what what do other times look like yeah. um, more so than this one particular day. But I'm, I'm all for anything that serves the story. And particularly, I think in our preview pod, we talked about the most important thing being how this will serve the story of our main characters. So so because not that the supporting character is important, but obviously they're there to support the main character story. So um, if it happens to be, you know, highlighting the day, uh, this day, September 26th or whatever, then then I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I don't, you know, I don't always say like, no, don't do that because they could do it and it could be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Like it's tough to say, don't do this. If you don't, if it's going to be on the quality, that's certainly the Austin version of this was, then maybe I won't turn it away. I do agree though, right. that I think if it's 20 years is a long time, it's yeah. a long, long time. And so I think if you're going to fill in some blanks, it wouldn't make sense. Even if it's answering questions like, how did Ellie get to Boston in the first place? How did she get discovered by the Fireflies? You know, how did Joel end up getting to Boston? Considering he's going to go, Austin and Boston sound very similar, but mm -hmm. they're in very different places. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, I'm sure those questions will hopefully be answered. And I, I prefer to maybe reside in that time to also see how quickly did it go to shit? And also, how did then the bricks get built to form this new society? It's obvious that the government and army were already stepping in, but when were the quarantine zones? Form, you know yeah. and when did that stuff start going south yeah i i think with the tv show i think you know something that i i've you know the rumor the rumor is that this is a very faithful adaptation to the video game but there is a way in which a video game is not super conducive to flashbacks uh this is a game where you know i talked about it being um, um, a cinematic you know video game experience where it does feel like you're you're playing a tv show or a movie and so when you want that experience, the flat, you know, I don't, you, you have to spend big chunks of time in the flash where I don't think you necessarily need to do that with, with flashbacks. So I think that they could use them really effectively here and there's so much time, but part of what I really like about this and the thing that, you know, sort of surprising about what happens here is that it does feel, okay, this is the inciting is an inciting incident in the show. And then it's like, actually, no, this is a prologue to mm -hmm. Joel 20 years later. We're going to jump 20 years later. And again, the world building, I think feels, yeah, you have to fill in 20 years of history to how quarantine zones got, uh, got created. Uh, Marlene's going to mention, I think a, a time, I can't remember if it's 10 or 20 years of how long the fireflies have been an active thing. And so, yeah, I, I, I love the decision to say, no, this actually set 20 years into a post-apocalyptic, like a post-pandemic uh, uh, a world or, or, you know, current still a pandemic world, um, but we're 20 years in. Uh, I really love that narrative choice. And so, I you know, again, do whatever you want as long as it works, but I'm, I'm you know, less eager for flashbacks than I am to, like, see the story uh, in, the, in the present day. I guess it mm -hmm. is. It's 2023, so. Yeah. yeah, it's quite literally present day. Yeah. Here we are. And talk about another rug pull here. I think, Grace, putting ourselves in the pants of the first-time viewer, as you mentioned before, I think if you don't know Bella Ramsey is the one playing Ellie. Hell, if you haven't seen a photo of Bella Ramsey <laughs> recently, True. you True. see this a little girl with dark hair staggering through the brush before stumbling upon the Boston quarantine zone entrance, and you think, oh, this must be Ellie. This must be the origin story of how she wound up in the Boston QZ. And we see her get brought in. Uh, we see her get, you know, tested a little bit. She's looking at these signs on the walls that, again, are fantastic world building, fun little freeze frame stuff as to what the signs of the cordyceps infection are, as well as 
where you're bit and how that determines the rate before the infection takes root in your brain. Understandably so. The closer it is to the brain, the faster it's going to be until you're one of the infected. And we also get, I think, very importantly, one advent of a, a piece of this new world, which are these scanners, where yeah. she's going to get scanned by Fedra, by the government. It's going to come up red. And even though Ellie was able to evade, you know, what happens to people who scan red earlier, not so much for this girl, as the next thing we see of her, despite the loving promises of candy and puppies and all the ice cream you could eat, she is essentially euthanized. And the next time we see her, many of the workers, including Joel, are throwing her onto a fiery pit of bodies. Oh my God, this is so sad. This is the saddest yeah. thing I think I've seen in a very long time, which is this poor kid who being restrained and like, we just don't want you to fall out of the chair. I'm like, that's such a, you're such a liar. You're lying. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then when you see it go red and you know what the show does, this really effective thing where I, I'm pretty sure red means, red means bad. I'm, 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 I'm uh, no, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's one of those good fortune envelopes. I can't think of many times that red doesn't mean bad. But there's this moment where I have where this woman is like, so we're going to get you some medicine and get you your favorite food. You can play with as many toys as you want. And I'm like sitting here like uh, there's an episode of, of The Office where uh, Michael Scott does not know the difference between like yes. the test comes back negative. And I'm like, oh, my God, maybe red is good. Like it means you don't have the disease. So you're it's negative <laughs> and then this poor child the woman is like i sorry sir i can't dump the the child body in the fire and joel's like i'll do it you know like uh, like a stone cold killer and i'm like yeah i don't like any of this uh no but i do like it because it's compelling tv but i'm like this is so sad and it's also a symbol of both Again, another arresting image that he sadly experienced before, right? Carrying this dead child's body. But oh. also, as you said, a bit of a sign of how stony Jill has become in the past 20 years, right? Of him yeah. just kind of putting his face down, pushing through whatever future he may be a part of. Through Joel, we are getting a glimpse as to what exactly life is in the Boston quarantine zone, where essentially, if you're not a member of FEDRA, which we should say is an abbreviation for Federal Disaster Response Agency, mm -hmm. then you are doing these jobs, pretty much manual labor to get rations cards that you essentially then get to trade in for said rations, perhaps for other things from a commissary. So there is capitalism still running rampant, of course. That also survived the apocalypse. Well, I doubled down. Joel's like, got any more job saying? He's like, no, but tomorrow you could clean the streets or the sewers. Like, which pays more? It's like, yeah, the one with the with the shit pays more. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Give me, sign me up. So Joel. <laughs> Dirty job <laughs> starring Joel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he just, he just does whatever, whatever needs doing. Joel's going to do because he's a survivor. Yeah, well, he also is seeing what happens to those that do not follow the rules. We see very blatantly posted across town, there is curfew. And we also find out the tragic way with more dead bodies on our hands that mm -hmm. there are laws you cannot leave the QZ by punishment of hanging. And so we don't see three people hung, but we see that they are uh, caught leaving the quarantine zone. And so it very much seems like, okay, it's quarantine for a reason. We want to keep you in there. Uh, 
partially to probably keep an eye on them. I mean, right. I mean, you know, the whole thing about like, you know, I'm like so upset with this woman who like uh, lies to the kid. I'm also like, yeah, this disease, nobody knows how to stop the spread of this disease. So I'm also like, yeah, that's a tough position to be in as well. When the the random kid comes in and is infected, uh, what do you do? This, um, I, I noticed they're reading off the the crimes they've committed. So it's unauthorized exit to a quarantine zone. And the next was like uh, also unauthorized entry into a quarantine zone, which, mm. uh, you know, makes sense as well. But presumably if you are, if you get a little test and you, you, you green, who cares about unauthorized entry into a quarantine zone, but alas, uh, also killed. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure there had to be some sort of accounting, right? Cause again, this is a government run facility that they want your name. They want to track you in some way. They want to put you to work. And so I guess the story probably was one person was almost smuggling someone else in, right. Taking a bit of Joel's territory and they both caught with their pants down though. We're going to get into the guy that gets quite, quite literally caught with his pants down the guy that we have named Lou as we get more perspective into exactly what Joel is doing to keep himself going through the apocalypse besides just shoveling shit, uh, he is getting rations cards in exchange for smuggling in pills at this point. And we'll find out later how he's doing that. He's working in tandem with Bill and Frank, who are more of his suppliers. But they're going to have, you know, some exchanges here. Uh, they're going to talk about how there's a, an, an outpost that only sells pills and bullets. And he says, the more you shoot people, the harder it is to sleep, I guess. And Fedra says, oh, you guess? And it's like, listen, Joel knows some stuff, okay? <laughs> Considering how he's going to go to sleep and like the, the last words of Sarah are still echoing through his head, he is going to need the pills as well as the guns. Yeah, um, I will not spoil where we're going. We've talked, you know, we see them leaving Boston at the end of the episode and, you you know, Google at your own risk, but we're going to see different places along the way. We know that uh, the the cell tower that is mentioned in the episode is in Wyoming, uh, but the place mentioned here is Atlanta, um, is the place where they're making pills and bullets. So just kind of of like, yeah, how does the system like break down, but then also start to be rebuilt? Um, And Atlanta, I believe, is where... Uh, Walking Dead, the, mm. the, the the Walking Dead begins in Atlanta because they have the um, that's where some of the FD. I'm not American, so season one, the CDC is based out of Atlanta, and so that was like right. their big place that they wanted to go to, their Shangri La. Right, right. Um, so fun that they're the ones making pills and bullets in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, speaking of a dream, we find out one of the reasons why Joel is doing all this stuff on the side, which is he needs money and means to get a truck. We'll find out later that the reason why he wants the truck is to leave the QZ to find Tommy, who has been MIA for, I think, three weeks at this point. And so he wants to go bail out his little brother once more. And so Mm -hmm. he's been trying to acquire parts and means to get a truck, which segues really nicely into the introduction of his partner in crime here, one who is also trying to get parts for the truck, Let's talk about Tess Baby, Anna Torv as Tess. I think this scene, honestly, was a perfect introduction to her, where she is, you know, beaten up. She has a black eye, mm-hmm. and it takes you a minute to realize yeah. that she is not the one in power. No. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, she is being interrogated. I said, Like I said, like, kind of, but she's also like, 
you know, you beat me up. Just let me go. Who cares? And this guy, Robert's like, well, but no, like, you know, and, and he's like, tell me you won't kill me. He's like, I won't kill you. And he's like, not like that. That was like, you're so clearly flying. This is so fun. This is such a good introduction to Tess. Yeah. Because again, you think that she's the one that, that has these goons behind her. She nope. has this, this body language of, again, just like the person who commands the voice in the room. You think that this guy, Robert, is the one that's being interrogated. But no, the power dynamics very much swapped. It turns out that Robert had promised selling her a, sell her a battery for the truck. He filched on the deal. He sold it to someone else. And then she got ornery about it, understandably. And it seems like her goon, his goons kind of broke rank and beat her up a bit. And so they brought her to him. And Robert, the weasel that he is, is kind of like, I'm sorry. They didn't realize who you were. Please don't hurt me. Please don't send Joel after me. I'm afraid of Joel. I love this, too. Like, we've seen Joel dump a body in the a child's body in the fire. So, of course, Robert's like, please, please keep Joel out of this, please. Uh, which is right. You, want, you do not want Joel being involved. I like her line of, you know what I want to do? I want to go home and drink so much that I forget that my face hurts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly great. She is, again... So it makes sense why her and Joel are such a good pair in many ways. And I think they both have this sort of dry yet confident way of carrying themselves that, again, they, they command a lot of attention to themselves, even when they have the low status in the room. Mm -hmm. Things are going to get interrupted, though. Tess is ready to just go home and forget the whole thing. It becomes a lot more complicated when... So is it that a bomb went off? Was that the, the, the truck was driven into the wall? So I, I think what happened here, the, a beat during the, the drug deal is that uh, he's going to say, Lou, our friend Lou is going to say, make sure you stay off the streets for the next few nights. The fireflies have been blowing stuff up. And so um, the Fedra is putting extra guards in the street and it's really easy to make a mistake at night. So we must know that Joel does his work mostly at night. And so he's saying, mm -hmm. keep up. And so I think that we then cut to tests in the, you know the interrogation room and then presumably the fireflies just blow something up to catch the attention of fedra to lure them out to then shoot them uh is what i that's the way i read it and tess is going to follow the blood trail who i, pre I presume she's trying to track robert is right. the idea uh she's gonna follow his blood trail but she just ends up being in the middle of a firefly fedra fight and it's like i no please this is bad i'm not with anybody <laughs> yeah and true to what happens with joel right she puts her hands up does yeah. the thing you're supposed to do in front of authority. And it's like, please, I'm not one of the fireflies. Protect me. They're like, yeah, we'll protect you behind a jail cell. Come with us. So yeah. a, a little bit of an introduction as to who the fireflies are. We're going to obviously get a lot more of them once we actually see inside their HQ. In fact, we won't realize this, but starting next scene. But we begin to see truly the violent impact that they can have and how uh, anarchical they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're anarchists. I... I... I, you know, I uh, I have been watching through and, and, and trying to play a little bit of the game again as, as I'm going to, like, revisit it with uh, with Taryn. Um, I didn't recall them being so, like, uh, like yeah, full-on <laughs> just shooting Fedra yeah, like with Guy a sniper Fox rifle. Day style, yeah. V for, but... v for Vendetta. <laughs> cool. Great. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but, for, yeah, we're going to we're gonna learn that they're, they're, they're up to something. Um, uh, there's... Yeah, there's some there's some business that needs to be taken care of from the fireflies. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, let's talk about another major piece of business. Well, after a couple of red herrings, we finally yeah. got the big tuna herself here. Yeah. It's our official introduction to Ellie, and she is chained to a radiator. Fantastic. This intro, Fantastic. perfect. Yep. No notes. I mean, honestly, all you need to say about not only Ellie, but the Fireflies is represented in this scene where she gets up after one of the Fireflies walks in, angrily kicks this empty lunch tray to her, and rolls her eyes as she has to go through the tests that she's asked to do innumerable times, count to 10 slowly, hold your hand out to essentially show if there are any signs. We'll find out later to test whether or not she's been infected after going on three weeks of being bitten. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, the counting to 10, not even really doing it. Technically, she never passed the test because she does do eight and then F you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Could that be the Cordyceps talking? They're just yeah. like, all right. Because yeah. Cordyceps like impractical jokers where it's like yeah. the eyes and on microphone be like, okay, now say this. Now throw yourself into the pots and pans. So when you get to nine, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, holding out her hand before the test giver says it right like you could tell that she's done this was all really great uh she's done this a million times she's like veronica it's veronica today it was veronica yesterday it was veronica the day before uh, just the attitude we also you know i i guess lots of us will know like that's not her name that's very funny that she's like mm -hmm. this is absolutely my name uh, i've told you every day my name is veronica this is great. She's going to threaten that people are going to come looking for her. Right. Uh, that she's not supposed to be here. And uh, we're going to see the in the blood written uh, the name of the episode, the, the motto of the fireflies when you're lost in the darkness. Um, yeah. But it's written in blood. So. No, I thought this was a, a picture perfect introduction to Ellie in that if she is not necessarily, you know, agreeing with the authority that's being given to her, she's going to disrespect it. If she was told the reason, once she's told the reason why she's there by Marlene, yeah. she'll, she goes through with her, right? She follows yeah. her. But this entire time, she hasn't been given any choice. She hasn't been given any perspective. And so then she's impudent. And so then she's childish, for lack of a better term. She's sarcastic. She's vulgar. And I think those that's the duality of, of Ellie represented incredibly well in this episode, and particularly in this scene where you can tell automatically not only is Ellie sarcastic and funny. She's also smart. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that, like you said, she is going by a name. I'm assuming as soon as she was found by the Fireflies, she probably had some sense as to who they were. And so she said, let me go by a different name just in case. You know, I don't want this whole Harry Potter thing to happen where my name is identified and for whatever reason, then I become found out. Uh, what I also love about Ellie, as we're going to learn that she's been bitten and she's not being infected for three weeks, she is a little bit of this chosen one. She's, you know, yeah. in, in this, a lot of media, right. You are the chosen one. You, you go and do this thing, but it's such a subversion of, of a lot of that in terms of her 
just be, she's the snarky teenager and yet for whatever reason something is happening that she's not being infected and not uh yeah not being not having fungi control her every move and yeah so it's it's very very fun for her to sort of be the chosen one especially with that that particularly marlene in this episode is just going to be like uh yeah of course of, of course i will let you be taken by joel um and, and tess and all uh, that they're gonna threaten to kill you nobody's gonna kill you because we know exactly how meaningful you are is, mm -hmm. is very very fun i think uh, uh and it, for that to just be ellie is great it's perfect Let's check out another little piece of the world of the QZ here. As Lou had given Joel some cigarettes as part of their deal, and Joel's doing a little bit of a video game-esque trade quest, true to the adaptation, yeah. right? Where he's going to take the cigarettes now to a man whose sole job is to essentially radio out messages. We figured this out that we have a whole queue of people standing there with written messages. Essentially, this guy has to communicate them out there to probably loved ones that exist outside of the QZ. This is when we find out that Joel is looking for Tommy. He's been eagerly expecting some sort of communique for Tommy. Hasn't happened for almost a month at this point. And so we're slowly figuring out more and more as Joel goes home exactly why he needs the truck. This is some of my favorite world building of the episode. The, I agree, yeah. The sadness in which people are just lining up and writing notes. And you could presume that there's people who have been writing notes for 20 years and sending them off into an endless void, hoping that somebody one day will hear it and they'll be reunited is so sad and so true to humanity um, yeah. nature. I think to that point, I'm talking about Ellie. What I love about her is that she's this little spark of hope uh, for a lot of people in the midst of a very, very dark show as, as it's like a zombie pandemic fungi show. She is this potential key to unlocking how to stop it all. And yeah, this is so true to humanity that people would just sit and wait and line up. Joel gets to totally butt the line. <laughs> One person is like, uh, hey, uh, everyone else is like, whatever. I got nothing else to do. And, gonna, and they're also you know, like, don't you know who he is? He's the, yeah. the smokes guy. But yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that's a really valid point of, okay, why are they doing this? Why do people put messages in the wailing wall? Why do people throw coins into a wishing well? I think there is this idea of putting these messages of hope out there in the ether with the hope or expectation that they will then be reciprocated back to you. And so The Last of Us takes the idea of faith and talks about it in various ways, whether it be like fanatic beliefs or to your point, just the idea of you got to believe in something to make you step on the ground one day at a time and get out of bed in the morning. And I think it's really well represented here with just this little pastiche of these people as you said writing out messages maybe when they get in they'll say oh yeah we caught this over the wire someone responded but i would imagine to your point that the majority of the time they're just kind of saying yeah hey grandma hope you're still alive if you find us we're in the boston qz hope you're still scanning green love you bye yeah, and the fact that it's this guy who who does this, he's in it very briefly. Uh, he's He also has one of my favorite lines from the episode, which is, Joel says, well, couldn't you be missing it? Maybe it's happening while you're asleep. He's like, no, Gabriella does it at night, or my son, and not, and it is the smart one. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, good, perfect. Uh, only put the smart one on the radio uh, listening duty. Uh, to, yeah, again, just have humor in the midst of, like, this guy must have, this guy, no doubt, like, that. you don't need to see it for to know that, he has a sad job, which is to repeatedly send out messages from loved ones to loved ones who presumably never answer. That is sad. 
Well, speaking of sadness, let's go home with Joel here as we begin mm -hmm. to see the hobble that he has carved out here. One thing I just want to know quickly, the other the other piece of information this guy drops is that it's not just infected people out of yes. the world. This is 20 years later, but they talk about raiders and slavers. So it's not just that they're infected. People. And again, this is more world building, which is that there are, you know, and as in a lot of these uh, apocalyptic shows are like, there are more dangerous things than people who got infected by a disease. There's actually also humans who, as, uh, you know, chaos is a ladder, will take advantage of such situations uh, which people are vulnerable. So that is the other piece of because he's like you're not seriously going to go and try to look for tommy are you because like that's a bad idea and of course joel who we know to be incredibly stone-faced and has no fear is like well yeah i don't care about all that stuff i gotta find my brother well i'm just happy to hear that despite a pandemic collapsing human society the las vegas raiders still remain <laughs> as the football team uh-huh yeah that's right yeah, I, do you careful. think humans play the infected? Do you think it's an entire infected-filled league of just everyone tackling each other and throwing themselves in with full force? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I was gonna make an incredible idea. I was like joking about Carlos Correa wasn't able to sign it. He, hopefully, in this, even in this universe, they're like, we think he might be infected. So you're not like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scan red. So I don't think we could put him on yeah. the twins anytime soon. Yeah. The infected <laughs> only, the infected league. Maybe we could that's put right. him on. That's right. Well, let's go home with Joel here because to that point of him really sticking to his guns we see that he's hidden some stuff underneath the floorboards we see a hatchet perhaps just sort of uh left aside in case somebody gets in but namely he has a set of maps and we see again we're not in like a post-electrical society necessarily but any sort of gps that has existed has shut down by far at this point so he has to track road trip style like through the highways how he would get to wyoming but he gets a little distracted by all the pills he's popping and all the booze he's slugging down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love uh, the, the old school maps going through and tracking his trail, how he's going to get to Wyoming. It was very fun. And also the fact that he is still wearing the watch that yes. Sarah gave him, which yeah. is riddled with bullets. And it's this odd thing where it's a reminder of her, but all encompassing. Right, yeah. in that it's something that she gave him and and uh, just a, a memory of their love. But the fact that it has bullet marks on it, I think is also a really sad reminder of how she died and what mm -hmm. happened to her. And I do think Joel is someone who's will not necessarily bring up the past, even when prompted, but I don't think he obfuscates it. I don't think he's someone who's like, I'm going to completely put this behind me. I never had a daughter, et cetera, et cetera. I think no. he is uh, a little little self-effacing. I think he is a little self-flagellating. And so it wouldn't make sense that he would always wear a broken, quite literally, reminder of the worst day of his life. Yeah, this stuff gets me all the time when it's like, yeah, he's wearing the watch that his daughter gave him. She fixed it. Now it's broken again. But she can't, like, she can't pay to get it fixed because she's dead. Like, it's too sad. It's, it's perfect TV. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when Ellie's going to tell him later, right? Like, your watch is broken. This idea that from an outsider represented by Ellie's perspective, she has no idea why he even wears that in the first place. And much like a lot of these, you know, artifacts, they look weird on the, the outset, but you look inside and there usually is a very tragic story behind them. We're going to see Tess seemingly come home. I guess the assumption is that these two are involved, both as partners romantically and uh, occupationally. Mm -hmm. And they're going to wake up. And once again, Joel has slept in. And Tess is going to describe to him essentially what happened, everything with Robert, the fact that she was in lockup all day, 
and warns him initially. I told Robert that you weren't going to go all Clint Eastwood, <laughs> but then she says, I said you wouldn't hurt him, but I would, I would very much like for you to hurt him. So let's hunt that mother effer down and get our battery and our truck, and then we'll go find Tommy. I love Tess so much. T Tess is amazing. No notes. No notes for Tess. She's like, yeah, I told him you weren't going to hurt him. I would so badly like you to hurt him. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. So we're now going to cut to the other side of things that is very much going to bring these two storylines together in the latter part of this episode. And we're introduced to a very important character in The Last of Us, Marlene, played by Merle Dandridge, the rare time the video game actor will also be playing their live action counterpart. Of course, she did appear in The Last of Us game proper, did a very memorable quote-unquote fake alternate ending of The Last of Us. I very much encourage people to look that up. I will not spoil what happens there, but definitely recommend it if you already know the ending to the game. But we come to find out she is the leader of the Fireflies, and we really, through her, get a big dump as to what the MO of the Fireflies is. Yeah. Um, the, the conversion of the Fireflies and Tess and Joel is slightly different in the game, which Taryn and I will chat through but i think it's i think it's done really really well here which is the idea it it's the idea that marlene is the one willing to put herself on the line to go smuggle ellie i think only raises the stakes for how important ellie is so in the in the show marlene just is kind of like or sorry in the game marlene's like i'll double it's actually weapons that they're looking for i believe Joel. yeah and Tess, and she's like, actually, I'll double the weapons if you do this thing for me. And I feel like instead saying everybody's looking for a truck and a battery to get out of the city, and 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 that Marlene is has this thing knows about um, not only knows about Ellie, but is willing. It's so important that she will do it herself, despite being the leader of the Boston Fireflies, is so good because I think that it Marlene is very rootable before, but this just gives her extra. You know, there's there's more here that I think works incredibly well. She's she's very similar to Joel in the way that, you know, this one woman is being like, um, nobody knows what's going on. She's like, follow orders. That's maybe how about that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> OK, yeah, OK. You sound a bit like Fedra, uh, I got to admit. Um, but when you find out that she's like basically wanting all this stuff to happen because she wants to lead this caravan to take Ellie or at least Fireflies take Ellie to somewhere where she can, you know, figure out what's happening it's really really good and i think it it's it, i think it's better than the game uh in terms of marlene's introduction into the story right because as we talked about in that preview show because particularly this part of the game is so joel focused we find out so many coincidental things about yes. the fireflies right and it's largely colored through joel and tess's opinions of them which are not incredibly favorable i really appreciate getting this scene with marlene to literally vocalize you know, the Fireflies are in a, you know, they are in a, against a military dictatorship to restore democracy and freedom. That that's their goal at the end of the day. They're not just whistling Dixie and firing into crowds. They are actually intending to disrupt this kind of totalitarian state that has been built up in the wake of the world collapsing. But we also see a bit of weariness here, right? Uh, she has her number two seemingly in this woman, Kim, is is saying like, yeah, we, we keep doing this and we're actually making progress. But Marlene vouches, if you fight for 20 years and you're nowhere, you're not in a rebellion. And it seems like perhaps, you know, maybe assuaged by this idea of finding Ellie, 
she wants to try something different. It almost seems like she kind of half wants to get out of the game, but also is kind of making the million dollar gambit right now and saying, okay, this is the way we can actually move things forward and get society back to a way it was before all this happened. Yeah, and and also that she's smart. So all of these attacks that are happening are essentially the lead up to, to the point where they're going to be. So essentially, she's driving Fedra to increase the number of guards who are out. And then they're going to set this trap where they're going to have stuff happen everywhere across the city, except for one specific place in which um, Marlene will lead her and Ellie out, out of, of the quarantine zone. So even all the stuff about like them just being like an anarchist group, you know, the attacks that are happening, the explosions that have been happening, all a sophisticated plan for Marlene to essentially set up, you know, th their escape. So it's very smart, very good. Um, it's clever. No. Yeah, very tactical. When, again, we have perceived the Fireflies at this point to just be anarchists for causing chaos for the sake of causing chaos. The, right. She's very much not the joker of, oh, I'm just a dog chasing a car, and if I caught it, I wouldn't know what to do with it. She wants to catch the car, because then she'll drive the car out of the QZ. Mm -hmm. I want to skip a bit, because we get to sort of like, fine pieces moving scene where, you know, Joel gets approached by a Firefly, he threatens to break <laughs> his jaw, and Tess yeah. is able to find out the location of the battery, they're going to take the subway tunnels. Marlene is going to visit Ellie, and the first sign of peacekeeping that a Firefly finally gives her is when Ellie is given her backpack. Again, not to say too much of the game, but Ellie's backpack is a very important part of her character for yeah. numerous reasons. And she immediately goes for a familiar weapon, the Switchblade. Yeah. Yeah, this is very fun. Marlene sits right next to her. She's like, you're not afraid of me? He's like, no. Um, I love this interaction between Marlene and Ellie. It's very, very good. Yeah, because, again, I, I will not say too much about the game, but when we meet Marlene with Ellie, it all, it seemed like she was her guardian in some respect. So I'm glad mm -hmm. we got this relationship fleshed out a bit. That it maybe was not as long-seated as we may have assumed from the game, that they essentially just met today. We're going to get a little bit of backstory as well, that Ellie uh, was essentially caught by the Fireflies escaping from a federal military school that she was put in that was essentially like a pseudo-orphanage as well and marlene is going to reveal i know your name's not veronica i know your name is ellie i picked you up because there's something about you that i will reveal to you but not to the audience at this point uh there's another piece just to flag for folks uh you know things to keep in the back of your mind is ellie's gonna say why did the leader of a terrorist organization dump me with fedra and Marlene is going to balk at the idea of being called a terrorist group, as you were talking about before. I think very interesting that this idea of like terrorism has clearly like lasted 20 years, which I think does make sense as this thing happens in 2003. You could see that over the course of 20 years that like that mentality has has stayed. And so even Ellie, who is not born at the time where 9-11 happens, it's in her vocabulary to be like, you're a terrorist organization, right? Like you can mm -hmm. see how that that ha that's like the propaganda that Fedra would use. But she says, oh, was Riley a terrorist? And there's nothing else about Riley's episode, but just put that in your little, in your pocket for now. Yeah, yeah. I believe we will. In fact, I, I think an actress has been announced to be cast as Riley. So yes. I believe we are going to be seeing some part of that. But yeah, interesting to note. Let's get into the subway tunnels here as we get another garish site to remind us. Oh, yeah, it's been a while since we've actually seen oh <laughs> some fungus among uh -huh. us here. Something is quite sus in one of the tunnels as we see a dead body adhered to the wall with fungus just truly showing the extent that these things can take over the human body. This is a good one. This is a good one. Stuck to the wall. It's great. 
I love it. It's gross. And it's rough because, like, <laughs> I thought for a second we'd get the jump scare. We got a couple jump scares in this episode, but a jump scare of, like, it's starting to move or something, yeah. but it couldn't because it's, it's adhered to the wall. But still, a very garish sight of seeing something that has lost a lot of composition of humanity to it, biologically speaking, and has become more fungal than man. And Joel and Tess are going to have this sort of back and forth, this question about uh, did it come down here after it was infected and Joel's going to respond or maybe it got infected down here, which is going to be a thing we will see throughout the show. Presumably is is where are these things? You know, there's this safe zone of the quarantine zone, but as we're moving out of that, but even, you know, they break the lock to the subway because people are not allowed to go down into the subway. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be these places where it's much as they're going to explore into the wilderness they're in a protected zone in episode one not going to be the case moving forward that uh where where are these infected things and beings and, and all that sort of stuff so we're going out of the fungal frying pan and into the fire here the gunfire as they're going to head up they're planning to like go into this place that they heard robert was meeting up and our plot points collide here they find their way into the firefly hq where they just missed a big old firefight. We'll find out later on that we essentially, to your point, the battery was being traded away to Marlene. Instead, to get a truck to drive Ellie out, the battery was corroded, so it was dead. Essentially, the fireflies were what PO'd. What a bastard, Robert. <laughs> yeah, that Robert essentially <laughs> sold them a lemon. Robert was not happy about the way they were responding, and it broke out in a bunch of gunfire that left Robert and his lackey dead. Marlene shot in the gut. Kim is missing an ear. I love that reveal as well, where we didn't yes. see part of it. At least I didn't notice it until she says, like, Kim, you don't have a damn ear on your head. Yeah, and I had to show it. It was the second watch through because I heard you have a damn hair on your head. I was like, she has hair. And the <laughs> second watch through was like, oh, an ear. Oh, I do you know what? Again, I think that uh, Taryn made this point about how much of this is Joel and Joel's story, right? And Joel's crew story, Ellie and Tess and, and these other pieces. And I love like the point you were making earlier about, okay, we get to see Marlene and we get to see stuff that we'd never had context for in the game. I do think the balance was really well done in this episode because there's a mm -hmm. world where there's a whole shoot. We get the whole scene with Marlene and Robert and why that goes down and how it doesn't. And I kind of love that that's not what we do. It's like we we get to the point where um, uh, Joel and Tess show up and they're like, oh my God, that didn't go well. <laughs> huh? And we're just sort of in post post the fight uh, because that's where Joel and Tess are. It's we, we, you know, we are concerned about Marlene and the fireflies, but this is much more about Joel's uh, story. So I, I quite like that. That was good. Either that, or this was the last thing they were meant to shoot. And they said, Oh, we ran yeah. out of budget. Let's yeah, game maybe. of Thrones season one, this and say, Oh yeah, we didn't get able to show the fight, but it was really great. You just, you missed it. So sorry. Well, the blood under the door and then opening the door and everybody's like sprawled out. And then you see like Marlene trying to help. Like these are the, like, the only two people who survived. I thought it was good. I adore with every ounce of the word, the fact that Joel and Ellie, the heart and actual purpose of this show <laughs> their first meeting yeah. is her trying to pop out at him with a switchblade and him right. just yeeting her into a wall <laughs> he literally does like throw her into the wall uh it's brutal and then they're just they're at it right away he's stepping on the switchblade she's like she's upset at him it's great it's very good mm -hmm. so we find out to something you mentioned earlier that joel and marlene know of each other uh it doesn't seem like they've worked together a lot and well i guess they know of each other because tommy right was affiliated with the fireflies previously right. and so right. it's it's uh definitely estrangement between the two of them but marlene is able to bring some blood away from her wound to her brain 
to come up with this new idea. Okay, we obviously are in no shape to take Ellie to the Fireflies outside of the QZ. You are going to do it for us. To you, she's cargo. And basically said, oh, we'll give you the truck. We'll give you anything you want to do to go get Tommy. Just do this favor for us. Y'all talk it through. But please remember that I'm bleeding out. <laughs> There's so much comedy in this scene. That's, you know, the first meeting of, of Ellie uh, and Joel here. Marlene being like, yeah, you can talk it over, but I am bleeding to death. So please, uh, the ear line is hilarious. And then when Joel and T Tess immediately comes back, like, yeah, we'll do it. Fine, we'll do it. We'll do it. And I will note the agreement here is, you know, take her to the, uh, I think it's the courthouse or the state house. Something like um, that, yeah. Where there's a group of fireflies who will then take her. So that that is that is the plan here. And when you get there, they'll have a truck ready. All the everything you want, Joel, you can have. That's the agreement here. And um, uh, Tess says, "Yeah, we'll do it if we get there." And the fireflies renege on the deal. We're gonna kill Ellie. And Marlene immediately says, "Yeah, good deal." And, <laughs> and Ellie goes, "Wait, yeah. really? That fast? <laughs> so good. It's so quick in the in the moment. Uh, it's a great line read." And she's like. Yeah, you're important. Nothing. The Fireflies will not let literally anything happen to you. So don't worry. That is a good deal. Uh, it's really good. The whole thing, the comedy, uh, the seriousness, the tone. Like, yeah, someone lost an ear. Uh, and yet the scene is like, it's so well balanced. And I think Ellie shows, again, that duality so well in her final unspoken moments of this scene where she clearly gives a look to Marlene that indicates to me this immediately made relationship of I don't want to go with them. I want to stay with you. I trust you. And then the first thing she does is once she turns away from Marlene, she brushes past Joel and picks up her knife. So it's so good. It's very clear the attitude with which she's going to regard him, at least in the immediate future. Yeah. Um, I also thought the the when Marlene basically, you know, to get Joel to to do this, not only does he just get everything he wants, but Marlene being able to say, um, you know, I know why you want to leave. Joel, I, I know I, and said, I, you know, frankly, my mission is more important than your mission. You, you are trying to save one person and I'm trying to save everybody. So mm -hmm. politely, F you. <laughs> no, I thought it was, I just, I just thought the dynamic between everybody in this scene and so far the chemistry between mm -hmm. everybody in the show is working really, really well. Absolutely. And so we're going to continue this Joel and Ellie chemistry as basically Joel is going to be saddled with sitting and looking after her until night falls and they can sneak out of the QZ. And here they butt heads a bit more and we get to check out more little pieces from Joel's apartment while we stay in here before we end up leaving Boston. We see particularly there's a radio and there's a book of Billboard number one hits and there's a piece of paper with a code on it that Ellie pretty much immediately cracks, luckily for all of us. Yeah, this was very fun. I loved this. I loved uh, the, the the code, the '60s song. What is '60s song? Is no stock. '70s is new. There is stuff in there, and then '80s is I don't know. '80s uh, is the doomsday scenario, apparently. Yeah. So that'll be exciting to find out. I'm glad that again. Maybe it's just because I've been watching a lot of Severance, but it's nice to have questions answered, you know, within the immediate yeah, vicinity. The thing against Severance, which I absolutely love, but it's very different from that regard. But I love the dynamic of. Ellie impressively cracking the code and Joel just completely no selling it, right? Just being like, good for you, throws the book away, goes to lie down. Yeah, I, I do think this is an, you know, it's one of my, I, I so I, first of all, I love the trope of 
you know, the Mando trap, which is not the first thing to do it, but it, you know, this is essentially Pedro Pascal. Hell, yeah, that's the last time to do it with Pedro Pascal. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, of of taking of taking care of someone younger. And what I what I love about this trope often is the the person who has been charged with responsibility or or ended up in the situation being the one who has more knowledge right they're an adult you know but that the cute thing is when it's like oh but actually i learned from the young kid about this thing that i didn't even know about myself that's what that's what i often love about this trope and we're gonna see very quickly that ellie is very capable and very smart i think you'd have to be if you you literally your whole life you grew up in a uh, pandemic world and in a post-apocalyptic world um so i i love it that we get the seeds of that immediately that ellie is like like yeah i know the coach i she does i th it is the more i think it's like after joel wakes up it does take her a little bit of time for her to be like oh i think i figured i think i figured out the guy like uh code cracked i think is what she says so uh, it's very cute yeah well she'll say that after he lies down and then instantaneously wakes up and she says initially Oh yeah, this thing came over the radio. It was this like, "Wake me up before you go." And you see Joel put his head in his hands, and she basically <laughs> says, "Gotcha." She's the 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 cordyceps. She's the impractical joker. She's a prankster, Ellie. She's kind of a a troll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was very very good. She's like, gotcha. A code broken. Yeah. So Joel is going to admit he hasn't been out of the QZ in a year. They're gonna start doing a bit of a Q and A, but much like he did before, he will give a promise. Yeah. We're going to be okay. Don't worry. Uh, now, at least at this point, it ends a bit better than it did the last time that he said that. But uh, it's an interesting note to end their relationship on from a one-on-one -on -one basis, because soon Tess will join them as they sneak out of the QZ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, time to go. Do you have a jacket? Cool. Let's get on the road. And they're going to hit the road here. We're doing solid snake stuff, right? We're sneaking around yeah. in drain pipes, behind school buses, and everything. And... As they, you know, come up above ground, yeah, this is when they run into Lou. But this is when Ellie's going to say, holy shit, I'm outside. I'm actually outside. <laughs> and Tess is going to pull her down. That's so good. Uh, she's a child. She is a child. Yeah. All. Again, yeah. she is perhaps wise beyond her years. She can crack codes like nobody's business, knows how to use a fake name. But at the same time, it's the first time she's been outside in her life or in a, a long, long time. She's like, oh, this is amazing. I didn't know mm -hmm. I could actually do this. Unfortunately, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. The guy is going to force them to be scanned as Tess and Joel are trying to negotiate with him, right, to essentially make sure they don't get hanged for leaving the QZ since we saw what happened last episode. But things, if they couldn't go more south, they're going down to freaking South America at this mm -hmm. point as this guy scans Ellie and she instantly uses her blade to stab the guy. He retreats points the gun at her. Joel just completely instinctively gets between them, and it's a triggering image for him as he is once again caught in the light of a man outfitted in body armor, holding a gun between him and a teenage girl. And even though their relationship is nowhere near where he is with Sarah at this point, he can't help but hulk out a bit. And as a result, does what was done to perhaps a version of Pedro Pascal in another HBO show years ago. <laughs> wow. yeah. Beats this guy to a bloody pulp. Uh -huh. I thought this is really good. I, you know, th I think there's going to be a lot on the video game club of us being like trying to map out where the, like what episodes will cover what. And so I was really intrigued with episode one of, of where we, they, you know, how they would map this out. Leaving the quarantine zone, I think was really good. But this scene in particular is so good. So everything from, Tess being the one to say, 
yeah, okay, get on our knees, it's fine. And then trying to negotiate, they're slowly ramping up like, you want half? No, not half. Okay, three quarters. And then Joel's like, and all and and drugs half off for forever. The guy's like, no, I'm getting gonna get free drugs forever. You know because you know. Um, and then, and then the stabbing right as the the test happens, that happens. And and then the the moment of panic that so Joel's having this flashback. I thought this was like beautifully done, of remembering what happened to Sarah. And so he's gonna do that. But then you have Tess freaking out about the red. The result is red, and you mm-hmm. have Ellie. I think in maybe her best acting moment of the episode. It's very, it's very dark here. Uh, kudos to for not being too dark to see. Uh, mm-hmm. so, but you know, um, being like, no, this happened three weeks ago. Look at the scar. Look, I'm fine. You know, I thought this was really, uh, really effective. Really good. Essentially, last scene of the episode. Right, and this is the big revelation, right? Where we had Marlene give a piece of paper to Kim that had her say, okay, I'm loyal to you now. We had Marlene tell Ellie off camera, you have a greater purpose, this is what it is. And we had her allude to it before, right? Being like, am I going to turn? We now officially know that Ellie has been infected for three weeks, has not turned. That is a game changer for possibly synthesizing some sort of cure for this virus that, as was mentioned in the very first scene of this episode, could be something that's incurable and cause a pandemic that lasts 20 years. And so it's a big thing. Like you said, it sets up this real chosen one narrative. It certainly changes the relationships that Tess and Joel have in many ways. Like you said, Tess's immediate like reaction of, oh my God, she's going to infect us to then, oh my God, what are you? But they have to take off quickly. And so they enter through this biological contamination area. And in the apartment, little Diddy comes over the radio. Depeche Mode's never let me down again. And if you're a fan of the 80s, you know when Depeche Mode comes on, you should get into depressed mode. Because it means (laughs) something has gone wrong. But it ends on, in my opinion, this incredibly visually arresting image as the three of them not aware of the firefight they may be coming into with this ominous message. Walk into the horizon as lightning strikes to reveal these toppled, ivy-covered buildings that truly, I think, represent what society is. It's so good. It's some of the coolest imagery from the video game, so to get to see it there as they're running through. I think you mentioned at the up top when we get the first flash to 2023. But them running as the th- as the lightning hits and we have the song and the, the lyrics here, like I'm taking a ride with my best friends. I'm like, this is good. This is so that was really, really good. That was a good episode of TV. It's a perfect note to end the episode on. And I thought it was really strong. Yeah, I think a great culmination that, like you said, did a really fantastic job of building up not our entire cast, because, again, it's a very much a travelogue show. But I think some of the big names and faces introducing what is going to be the main dynamic, but not necessarily making it the main center part of it. Introducing, I think, them separately as characters first. Introducing the world both before and after this virus has hit. And certainly the beginning of Glances will get of that. So a lot of really great stuff packed into 80 minutes. Grace, anything else you want to point out or say? Any potpourri from this episode of The Leftovers? I hope every episode starts with 1966 uh, Big Head or whatever. <laughs> just, <laughs> just keep everyone. going back to that Charlie Rose-esque interview. Mm-hmm. Everyone should start like that. No, I no, I this this is really really good. I think it's great to drop it as, you know, 80 minutes. Let the story you know, tell the story. Tell it, it's a really powerful story. I thought it was really, really well done. I think you know sometimes I 
you know, as I watch the episode, I'm taking notes and then I come back and it's not till I'm like sitting here actually talking about it. And the thing when I'm like, yeah, I really liked this and exactly why I liked it. I do think they have nailed the chemistry with, with, with every, every, you know, interaction we saw uh, so far to the point that it is heartbreaking. Uh, Sarah mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and Joel had such good chemistry that it's so incredibly sad. I will continue to be sad each week uh, because I've played the game. And so I know that there's more heartbreak coming, mm -hmm. but I also, I just think those, these little changes to, um, to, to Marlene and, and Ellie, and that this also is a show about hope. Fundamentally, it's about hope. I think the thing, if, if people are going to, you know, tune into the versus probably station 11 is that there's a lot of hope baked into that show along with the misery and sadness that comes along with being in a pandemic. But it's it's the hope, and and I think that there was so much good stuff in here that I think you know people. I I don't watch shows that are sad and dark, uh, because I want to be sad and dark. It's because it can make me really sad, and then find these little beautiful moments. I thought even mm. episode one did that really well, and so I think they, yeah, you're right, Matt. Like this this could be the worst episode of the season, but if you know if this is if this is the bar they've set for the rest of the season, I am very excited to be talking with you about it each and every Sunday night. Could not agree more. And in terms of setting that bar, even from my own expectations, I feel like they absolutely cleared it. It's tough for me to say that they didn't not nail everything in this between the acting, the visuals, the circumstances yeah. of both setting up the day it all went to shit, as well as kind of the shit that they're in right now, the introduction of characters, the chemistry, the plot points, it all just flowed together so smoothly that if this is, again, the most like arresting stuff that we have to get in terms of necessarily giving us these characters and, and establishing the world. And all we have to go on from here is Joel and Ellie and Tess traveling around together. I'm all for it. I had so much fun getting to watch this. And again, fun is a, a weird world word, but I have fun when I get to enjoy the things I'm watching that make me both happy and sad. And I think this show sets an incredible tone for what we're going to get in not only the rest of the season, but hopefully in the rest of 2023 as well, in terms of excellent television that is continuing. Of course, we are just getting started talking about The Last of Us from a post-show recast perspective. Again, I'll give a reminder as to what's coming up on the slate. In a little while from now, Grace, you mentioned it a number of times over this podcast, you and Taryn Armstrong are going to get together to do the Video Game Club podcast, comparing the first episode to the game that had been played so far. Again, a lot of one-to-one -one comparisons uh, and some stuff that deviated, as well as some speculation as to what stuff may be covered in future episodes. Yeah, and let me give a little, because uh, this is our House of the Dragon when they did Book Club with the Fire and Blood book. The way that the podcast is going to be structured is for the uh, what we'll try to map out to be the first half of the episode. We are only talking about that episode and the things in the video game that map on to that episode. So we are, we, what we're doing is sort of some of the stuff I was talking about the way that the fungus is different uh, uh so, you know marlene's story that sort of stuff so anything that's actually in the episode then we'll take a commercial break and if you haven't played the full video game you can dip out because then we're going to spoil the full video game and talk about the episode in context of everything else that's to come so it actually is listenable if you if you don't mind if you do want to be like it's some of the stuff i'm like we'll go into more depth about some of the stuff i was talking about tonight in the ways in which uh, it's different or the same and done really well but we're not spoiling past the point that the episode is that until the commercial break in which we'll do that. So uh, it's kind of uh, notoriously for the House of the Dragon Pod, that's where Nicole Cesarino was upset that she had to stop listening because she hadn't read the, read the book. Um, so you, it is listenable, even if you've not played the video game, uh, up to a point. So I just want to clarify that if you're going to come join us on Video Game Club. 
Absolutely. After the Video Game Club podcast comes Versus, where Josh and Latanya are going to be uh, comparing the premiere of The Last of Us to the premiere of Station Eleven. If you want to check out Station Eleven, it's available on any HBO platform of choice. I know I will be very excited to be engaging in that. If you want to check out the first playthrough podcast in which Jess Sterling and Brooklyn Zed will certainly play through a good chunk of the first part of the video game as well that Grace was talking about, be sure to check that out, gauge their first reactions. And again, this particular week, Rob and Josh talk the Last of Us premiere should be happening, should be dropping in both this feed and uh, the Rob and Josh feed as well. Really excited to get Rob's thoughts about everything. I mentioned the landscape of television. Grace, I know you have your hands mm. in the dirt of the landscape right now, always covering a lot of stuff. What do you have going on elsewhere in post-show recaps? Yeah, so Aaron and I talk about movies each week on post-show recaps theater. So this past week, we talked about Megan, the hit viral sensation. Oh. It was very fun. Yeah, Latanya joined us to talk about uh, that. A uh, timely AI-themed horror movie. It was great. We also talked about uh, women talking uh, earlier in the week. Um, so check us out on post-show recaps theater. Rich and I are covering Mayfair Witches, a show that drops on Sunday nights on TV. The episodes normally release early on AMC+, so we're chatting through that. Uh, the extended Anne Rice Immortal Universe, uh, the interview <laughs> with the vampire, and now Mayfair Witches. That has been fun. And and then Rich, and then to combine those things, Rich, Aaron, and I are talking about Dark. Uh, so we're mm. doing a full th well, season. Well, you, you did it foreshadow it by saying how much you love watching Dark TV. I do love watching Dark TV, and Dark gets dark at times. So <laughs> we did uh, full spoilers. Watch the whole thing of Dark, twenty six episodes, brilliant. My favorite scripted TV show of all time. Mm. So we are diving that. Uh, uh, we're digging deep each week uh, with our rewatch podcast. Over on Rob is a podcast. You can check out RJP Game Night. Um, this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, January 17th, we are playing Ticket to Ride. There's a rivalry forming between Omer and Chappelle uh, that I am very nervous because I've been put square in the middle of it. And ha! I don't like it. You are, um, the, you are the Joel right now between the Ellie and uh, Lou that are Omer and Chappelle. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, but it should be very fun. You can catch us live. Come join us. Hang out. We'll be on Twitch and on YouTube. And then you can watch the replays after if you miss it. So I'm on Twitter at Hi From Grace for anything else I'm doing. I'll promote it on there. I'm very excited uh, to be here chatting about The Last of Us with you, Mike. Likewise, I am at a Mike Bloom type on all social media. So I'm sharing DM Philly with you. I got my own DM Philly mm -hmm. podcast coming up because this Friday, the Legend of Vox Machina, mm. Season 2, the adult animated medieval series created by D&D actual play group Critical Role, returns for its second season. And Rich and I are going to be covering it. It releases in four batches of three episodes every Friday. And so Rich and I will be bringing you podcast recaps every Friday happening with that. This coming weekend, or actually on the day this is releasing on January 15th, Josh Wiggler and I will have talked through the entire miniseries of Battlestar Galactica. I am watching yeah. it for the first time. Uh, well, I've seen it before, but I remember very few details. And so Josh is my guide through everything with Caprica and Galactica. Another uh, day of getting to watch essentially the day the world went to crap <laughs> yeah. and the planets went to crap in a manner mm -hmm. of speaking when the Cylons took over. That was an incredibly enjoyable time. And I will spoil a pilot project for us eventually covering the full series of Battlestar Galactica coming up in a few months. So if you want to hear our temporary final thoughts about the miniseries before we move into the series proper in due time, be sure to check that out. 
And I'm doing a bunch of other reality TV stuff out there in both podcasts and interview forum, talking Australian Survivor, interviewing contestants from the Traders and the Circle. If you're interested in all that stuff, again, at a Mike Bloom type on all social media. If you want to check out our Last of Us podcast, certainly hope you're with us along for the ride all season long in this proverbial pickup truck. Grace and I immensely enjoyed the premiere. I hope you did as well. This show is going to be something incredibly special. I think I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk about it here and hopefully talk about it with you all in larger form. Reach out to us on social media. If you have thoughts, if you're a patron of Posher Recaps, which you can become a member of at poshorrecaps.com slash patron, you get access to our extravagant Discord where we're chatting about it throughout the week. There's an entire video game thread where people who have played the games can talk through it, doing their own comparisons. So if you're a fan, no matter what your extent is of the show, be sure to check it out. And please make sure, subscribe to our Last of Us only feed, posherrecaps.com slash Last of Us, or Lou, in honor of our fallen soldier here. Again, at the dawning of a new series, any ratings and reviews early on are incredibly appreciated. As yeah. is your, your listening, you know? And Kim, tell a friend. If you're loving our pods, you're like, tell a friend. Tell a friend absolutely. Listen, Kim might not have a damn ear by the end of this, but you all certainly do. <laughs> We're going to talk your ear off, actually. Oh, boy. <laughs> so <they might> yeah. not. <laughs> well, we're happy you lent them to us here. I know yeah. it was a bit of a longer podcast for a longer episode, but this episode was so incredible that I love digging into every single morsel of it. And we shall continue to do so. Grace and I will be back next week talking episode two, Sunday night of The Last of Us. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.